Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Occupy the Web on today's show. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Philip. Good to be here. So, yeah, thanks for for joining. I know you're super busy and uh, thanks for joining the show. The focus of the show is to help people try to get started in cybersecurity and offensive security. So these stories are all helpful and motivating and just based on what we talked about prior to recording, I think you've got some really great stuff to share. Thanks. Thank you, Philip. I am happy to talk about what we've been doing. Um, As you know, I run the Hacking School website, Hackers Arise. Um, I've also been war against Russia. That's part of the reason why I need to remain anonymous. There's a lot of reasons that I need to remain anonymous, but that's right now the most important one because I'm literally seeing attacks from Russia against me almost every day. I would say probably every day, sometimes more than once a day. So I need to remain anonymous to maintain my my physical and uh, uh, information security. <laughs> so I, I am a little bit concerned there because they, they seem determined to, to find me. And so I will try to remain anonymous. Definitely understand that. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be a great show. Looking forward to the, the topic, especially getting into the, the Russia and Ukraine uh, related stuff. But if you could, if you could kind of share how you got started, kind of your origin story. My origin story. Wow. Let's see. That goes back. <laughs> that goes back quite a way. First, there was my mother and my father and they, <laughs> they met. Okay. And, uh, and uh, anyway, so I think you're, what you're actually referring to is my origin story and in information security. So, yes. Um, yeah. All right. So what, uh, <laughs> You know, it's kind of a, it goes to my uh, having to remain anonymous, but I used to be a, a professor of computer science. And, you know, my, I have a, a certain streak of curiosity and mischievousness. <laughs> and that streak of curiosity and mischievousness uh, led me places that I probably shouldn't have gone. Okay. And as a result, I ended up with some legal trouble. Um, I actually did spend some time behind bars. Um, I, don't, I haven't revealed that on, to many people. Um, when I came out, um, I was offered opportunities to work with uh, the U.S. military and the uh, intelligence community. And I was very thankful for that because at the time I was without work and I I didn't have a job and I lost my job, um, didn't have much money left. And so I was offered an opportunity to work with them. 
Um, I started training them. And, you know, it became really clear to me that information security, cyber security, cyber warfare, those areas are probably the most important IT areas, okay, if not the most important areas in the world, <laughs> in the whole spectrum, okay? I think the war with Russia and Ukraine has shown how important it is. I've always kind of focused my cybersecurity uh, hacking to the cyber war side of things, because right? I've always anticipated that we would see what we're seeing today. And I think cyber war is what we're going to see continuously in the future. I mean, we, we see cyber war taking place almost every day, right? People aren't aware that the U.S. Rush, hacks Russia and Russia hacks the U.S. and China hacks the U.S. and U.S. hacks Russia and China hacks India and India hacks China. I mean, it's, this is going on on a daily basis all the time, okay? But right now is the first time we've actually seen cyber warfare break out into the open between Ukraine and Russia, and for that matter, the hacker community in general against Russia. Not not all hackers are anti-Russia. Let's, let's be clear. But probably 90% are defending or at least side with Ukraine against the incursion. And I'm, I'm going to back up and say anti-Russia. I'm not anti-Russia. I love the Russian people. Okay, I'm anti-Putin. Okay, I'm anti-aggression. Okay, against Ukraine. Ukraine has a right to remain free. Okay, they have a right, just like you and I have a right to remain free. Each one of us in our countries has a right to remain free and not be um, fearful for the aggression of our neighbors. Ukraine has that right as well. Um, apparently, Putin doesn't think they do have that right. And I think that. That is scary, not only for Ukraine, but for all of Europe, okay, and for anybody in the world, okay, that Putin believes that he can just march his troops into any place and install his own government and flatten cities. I think we all should be fearful of that. So I've always, in all of my cybersecurity, and maybe it comes from my background of working with the, the military, but... I've always had a focus on cyber warfare. So when the war broke out in Ukraine against Russia, and that was not unanticipated, obviously, I immediately began to defend Ukraine. And I raised a, a small army to help defend Ukraine. And we have been attacking Russia, defending Ukraine since February 24th. I mean, I can literally remember the moment when Ukraine got invaded and we immediately, we were ready to go and we went, uh, immediately did that huge DDoS attack against Russia. And basically there was probably a hundred thousand people involved in that attack against Russia. Russia said that they identified 17,000 IP addresses. Obviously one of them was mine uh, <laughs> that, that partook in that and they're trying to get retribution 
on that, those 17,000. But in reality, there was probably closer to 100,000 people were involved in that. And we basically, it was, a, it was the largest DDoS attack in the history of the world. Okay, We basically shut down Russia's internet access, or at least let's put it this way, the, the government and major companies' internet access for about five weeks, I think is what it ended up going. We shut down the stock exchange. We shut down all the major government sites, the military sites. And eventually Russia responded, you know, as as you know, it's not that hard to block a DDoS attack if you expect it, right? And, and uh, they did. And so now it's a lot harder to DDoS the Russian sites. But we gave them a taste of what we are capable of doing when we all work in concert. Very interesting. And it's kind of interesting, too, you know, that the Ukraine, you know, kind of reached out to the world asking for assistance because I would think typically these kind of things are just kind of going on in the background and people really not hearing about it. But this is like the first time I can really recall that a country has asked for the help of the hacker community to come help defend them. Yeah, that's a really important point because it's probably the first time in the history of the world that a country has reached out to the hacker community and said, look, we need your help. And we responded. And I think that they're very grateful for that. Um, at least they've expressed their gratitude to me and to others that they're very grateful for our assistance and helping them uh, repel you know, Ukraine has been successful so far, whatever it is, six months into this war, almost six months, that they've been able to repel a much larger, much more powerful adversary. And part of that is what the hackers have done, okay? Not only the hackers inside of Ukraine, which there's some really good hackers inside Ukraine, okay? So those guys are doing a really, really good job, and they need to be applauded. But they've also... A lot of us on the outside have been assisting them both with training and with materials and literally physical, physical, uh, virtual attacks against the Russian infrastructure. Yeah, it's very, very cool. And so it's really great that, that to have a resource like yourself that actually teaches this stuff. And, you know, one of the things I'd have to venture to say, too, is, you know, someone that just teaches basic pen testing may be somewhat helpful, but you really need someone that's very specialized in in the style of hacking that you do. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think what we've done, you know, is that we're, at this point, we're really focused upon the economic and industrial infrastructure of Russia, okay? And so that's, initially, we did this huge DDoS attack against Russia, and that's, you know, you could get 100,000 people involved in that. But when you start talking about attacking the industrial infrastructure, that's a much more selective group of people. And we have several teams inside of Ukraine who are conducting that and several people on the outside. Okay? It's, very, it's a very specialized field of being able to attack these what are called SCADA ICS systems. These are the systems that run the entire economic, industrial infrastructure of the world. They're little computers inside of every plant, every facility that, you know, for instance, the very simplest, they'll open and close doors, lock them, you know, run the machinery, run the robots that are making the cars, that are opening the valves, that are sensing the pressure. These are what are called 
programmable logic controllers. They're manufactured by a number of companies. There's probably a hundred companies who manufacture them, at least a hundred, and they're all over the world. The biggest ones are Schneider Electric and Siemens and, and a few others. But um, you know, this is this is not TCP/IP. You know, this is these are specialized protocols that these systems use, and attacking them is is requires a specialty knowledge. This is a plug. I have my uh, SCADA ICS uh, hacking course coming in uh, September. I do like once a year to have it available. I think it's a uh, 19th to the 23rd, a five-day class, and it's just going to focus upon attacking and defending, okay, and defending SCADA ICS systems. So if your job is to defend these systems or you want to know how to defend these systems, because it's really quite different than defending a TCP IP based traditional IT system, right? These protocols are entirely different. The systems are different. So what you know about defending an Ethernet TCP IP based system is not really going to apply to these systems. And I think people have largely ignored these systems. Okay, they've largely ignored them for, I mean, if you, I can pretty much, a few years ago, I could walk into just about any, just about any SCADA ICS system, just a few years ago, and I did. <laughs> and, but with time, things have gotten more secure, but they're still far from secure. It's still relatively easy to break into these systems, or in some cases, you don't have to break into them. Think of it, think of, say, a chemical processing plant, right? A chemical processing plant or a refinery are very fine-tuned operations, right? Everything has to happen on a very strict and carefully planned schedule, right? If one valve doesn't open at the right time or the temperature sensor is off by a few degrees, the whole plant can blow up, right? So imagine, and this has happened, this obviously has happened, is that if a valve doesn't open on time to release some pressure, pressure builds up in some a boiler or a distillery and the pressure gets too great, the thing blows up, all right. This has happened without, outside of the cyber war world. It is now happening inside of the Russia. Okay, and part of it is, is simply what's happening is that there are random inputs being sent into the Russian systems. Okay, random okay. to attack one of these systems and take control of it sometimes takes months or years to be able to do your research to be able to properly attack them. It depends upon the facility. But many of them are simply susceptible to random inputs, okay? Random inputs of an opening and closing of a valve, okay? Uh, a random input into at what temperature should I open and close the valve? Many of these systems, I'd say half of them, are susceptible to random inputs, that you can send inputs into them. You don't know what those inputs are going to do, but remember, these are really, really finely tuned systems. If even one, okay, one register 
has the wrong value in it, one the register inside these systems might hold the value of the temperature or the pressure where the valve needs to open. So if you can change the value in that register, then the system doesn't operate the way it, it's supposed to. Now, those that change may be innocuous. It may be disastrous, okay? It depends upon the various uh, operations there. So this is kind of the equivalent of a DOS attack against SCADA systems, and we've had some success Okay, in the, in this regard, it's we've got lots of people sending random inputs into the Russian industrial infrastructure. Very interesting. And so, for the folks listening, and um, you know, correct me if I'm I'm wrong. This is kind of uh, although maybe they you know they use malware or whatever, but this is kind of similar type of attacks uh, to like Stuxnet. It's, it's in the same level as Stuxnet. So Stuxnet was an attack against a, an industrial facility, the uranium enrichment facility at Natanz in Iran, where they were enriching uranium. And that was probably perpetrated by the NSA. Right? That project was a three-year project to be able to get inside of that facility and basically reprogram the PLCs. So we don't have three years, right? But it's a similar type of attack in that we're sending random inputs into these facilities versus Stuxnet sends very specific inputs into the, what they were doing is controlling the speed of the centrifuges that enrich the uranium. We don't have three years here to be able, well, we might, who knows how long this war will go. But in our case here, we're just simply trying to disrupt disrupt the industrial infrastructure of Russia. Yeah, it's very very interesting, and and one of the things too, I think, uh, just to kind of show for comparison, because you know people learn about you know hearing about pen testing and red teaming. So the kind of stuff you guys are doing are probably more would I would say are more similar to what a red team operation would be trying to go undetected and so right. forth. Well, we've got to go undetected. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is this would be like red teaming an industrial plant, all right? So we're 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 going. So you know, most pen testers are working in a traditional TCP/IP environment, and and we do that as well. But this is a very specialized field of working in industrial plants, and your TCP/IP background simply isn't going to apply to these types of facilities. So I know some, some of these facilities you're able to get through through the, the internet. So are there cases where you have to get physical access? I mean, I know they use different types of wireless technologies like IoT. Uh, so how are that, how's that typically done? I mean, is most cases you're able to get the things through the, through the internet? Well, the, in most cases, somebody has to manage and monitor these facilities, okay? So that means that they have to have an interface, okay, to the outside of the internet so that somebody can go ahead and manage and monitor it. And, uh, but once you get past that interface, all right, then what happens on the other side of the interface is all a specialty protocol such as Modbus or Profinet. Profinet was the was the protocol that was used in the Stuxnet attack. Modbus is the most widely used protocol. So 
you can get to the interface, all right? If you can get to the interface, and then at the interface, and you use TCP IP to get to the interface, and then past the interface, you have to use the protocols that these PLCs use, which is there's a there's probably a 20 or 30 of them that are widely used, you know, like DNP3, Modbus, Profinet, OPC. These are things that most people aren't familiar with. But if you can, once you get to that interface, then oftentimes you can send in probes, okay, and random inputs into those PLCs. You can actually send data to the PLCs through that interface. That interface is there simply to be able to allow somebody to monitor it. Now, really highly confident had, in some cases, that's true both in the West and in Russia, okay? There are certain facilities that are off. You know, we don't have to attack those plants. <laughs> so, ability to to interface with that connection that those plants have to the outside world so that a engineer can manage and monitor. If you don't, every one of these facilities has to have what's called a human machine interface where there's somebody managing to see that, you know, everything's working properly. Right? And whether it be a water plant or a sewage plant or a refinery, somebody's sitting at a computer and that computer is connected to that facility, right? And oftentimes, we can connect to that same interface to the plant. And then we can do what we do. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Recently, I had someone show me that there was leakage of a PLC through the Internet. You could just get to it from the Internet. So I'm sure probably a little more secure in some of the scenarios that you're seeing, but just amazing sometimes what, what gets exposed Yes. I mean, you can access the PLCs on many of these plants. <laughs> so that's that's um, that's basically what we're doing, is that we're accessing the PLCs on these facilities. So you can, once you get to that interface, then you have to, you can send commands into the plant, okay? In some cases, you can pull data off. In some cases, you can send data, new data, into those facilities. And that's where, you know, the attack actually takes place. But trying to determine what the data that should be placed in those PLCs is not an easy thing to do. But what we're doing is sending random data, okay? And so we don't really know what the impact of the data is. We only know that these facilities have to be finely tuned. And if you send random data in, there's a greater chance that the facility breaks down. Very interesting. And, and so, you know, a lot of people join the show because they're trying to to learn. So how would someone go about learning skills at this level? Well, like I said, I have a class next month, uh, September. That's just five days of SCADA ICS. Um, it's a it kind of introduces people to what's going on in this area, the protocols, how these things work, how do PLCs work. That's what we do in this class. We have PLC simulators, what have you, that we work with. I also have a lot of tutorials on Hackers Arise on SCADA hacking and security. Uh, we do a lot more in the class. So if somebody really wants to upgrade their skills in this area, uh, I recommend coming to my week-long class is September 19th through 23rd, okay? It's five days. 
And you're not going to be an expert at the end of the five days, but you'll have a good understanding of what actually is taking place in there. And then we do have an advanced SCADA ICS class as well. So once someone say once someone's went through that course, is there a way for them to set up a, a home lab to be able to practice what they're learning? Yes, we can. You can set up a home lab um, in a number of different ways. So if you want to set up a, a home lab in uh, of a PLC to test, um, we have software that will run on a Raspberry Pi. Right, so you can set up essentially a little industrial PLC on a Raspberry Pi, and then um, learn how to program it, learn how it operates, learn how you can hack it. Right, so that's what we do in the class. Very cool. It's the I guess the interesting thing about that type of that type of hacking compared to the some you know your typical run of the mill hacking. There's so many tools out there. Is there a decent availability of tools to do that type of hacking? Well, there are, there's a decent amount of tools. There's a few modules in Metasploit and there's, well, actually there's more than a few. There's maybe, I got a list of them on Hackers Arise of all the Metasploit modules. Um, but, you know, the field is so diverse. Like I said, there's probably you know, 50 to 100 companies who are making these PLCs and so that the attacks are particular to the company and the model of the PLC. So there are tools, um, but they're always like, like in, you know, TCPIP, origin, um, traditional IT systems, you know, there's a vulnerability, there's a, an exploit, and then there's a patch. And the same thing applies in the SCADA ICS field is that there's, there's, and, you know, once again, you know, we don't have like a single operating system. And so uh, it makes for having to do a lot more research to be able to attack them effectively. But there are tools out there, but traditional pen testing, you know, we know that there's a, there's basically three operating systems, right? There's Windows, Mac, and there's, um, Linux, right? And this Unix as well, but the, the attacks generally are similar or the same in those fields. In SCADA ICS systems, you're essentially working with many, many different systems. You know, there's, there's almost nothing that's the same between the systems. So it's, it's so differentiated that it makes the attacking and developing attacks a lot more difficult and it has to be very specialized. Now, from a hacker pen tester perspective, the truth of the matter is that there's not anywhere near the security in this field that there is in our TCP IP systems, okay? Um, I would put the SCADA ICS systems in terms of their security, they're about 10 years behind, okay? Our other systems okay they they still have things like you know passwords that are leaking out from their applications right we can get inside their applications and pull the password out right um, they don't have authentication on many of them so anybody can go inside right? things that you know we that most of our industry has patched 10 15 years ago these guys are still just getting around to it today very cool. And I know I, I used to work for a company that had some ICS 
infrastructure. They were a large consumer, a global consumer products manufacturing company. And just sometimes I know how fragile those systems were. And a lot of times it kind of gave the people managing the OT environments kind of reasons to push back, but it's really kind of hard to be able to, to be able to secure anything because they were, you know, worried about losing production that this broke down and, and, you know, people getting hurt and all that sort of thing. So it's, I can exactly. see it can be a, a challenge for people to be able to defend and uh, secure those environments. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and the thing is that in many cases, they can't go down, right? So if you're talking about an oil refinery or a chemical plant, they can't shut them down to patch. They, they basically have a once a year maintenance cycle. So if there's a new vulnerability that comes out today, right, they can't patch it until the next maintenance cycle, which might be a year from now, right? They shut the plant down, do all the maintenance. That's So there's a big lag between patches and between vulnerabilities and patches, which opens them up for, um, makes them pretty insecure, right? So generally in our environment, in general IT environment, when a patch comes out, people are generally pretty good about going ahead and patching the system. Right, you know, some people will patch immediately. Some people will patch in a week or a month or what have you. In the SCADA ICS systems, oftentimes that patch cycle might last a year or more. And remember that these are some of these systems are really old. Some of them are like fifty years old, right? And so they've got fifty-year-old software in them, right? Because they've never updated this software over this time, and so they have all the vulnerabilities that have accumulated over those last 50 years. Um, and you know, they, some of those systems are no longer being, um, uh, are no longer still within the patch cycle. They're not even being supported by the manufacturer any longer. And sometimes I've, I've worked with companies like who do, um, Oh, some major facilities like hydro dams and and um, that type of thing, where they don't bring those systems online because they know that they can't secure them. Right? They they know that there's nothing they can do to make them secure, so they simply have to have 24/7 somebody on site maintaining it. They have no TCP/IP connection. And so that's probably, I mean, that's obviously the most secure way of being able to um, keep these systems safe, but that's not very practical in most cases. So most of these plants have some human-machine interface remotely, and that means they've got to have a port open where attackers can exploit. Very interesting. So I wonder if, if uh, just kind of going back to years ago in IT where, you know, IBM would be ma- maintaining someone's mainframe and they'd have some kind of modem or, or you know, other kind of back way in to, to be able to get in and do maintenance. Uh, does much of that go on in ICS infrastructures? Yes. Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, we've had many vulnerabilities that are exactly that, where there's a developer portal, right? Where they've left in they've left in a a, a portal where the developer can get in and do uh, uh, maintenance. And uh, you know, it, one of the things that you know we do is look for those and 
you know, you can find them on some of these older systems that uh, and nobody has, and, and nobody's paid that much attention to their security over, you know, you know, this is a good example of security by obscurity, right? You know, who, who, who knows what's going on in the SCADA ICS world? People haven't really paid any attention to it, right? And so we have systems. I, I have a tutorial on Hackers Arise that I did. It was a tutorial that I did six years ago where I basically walked into a facility. I mean, I, I basically took it over, got root access on it, and it was so simple. It was so incredibly simple. And why? Because nobody was paying attention to security. They just simply installed the system, and I was able to basically SSH and escalate privileges in it with very little skills and take control of the whole facility. Now, that patch has now gone out. That was actually a Schneider electric system. Um, I did it. I put it up online. Schneider got very angry at me. But the truth of the matter is, is that they knew that was there. They knew that vulnerability was there, and they only patched it when I went ahead and showed the world how easy it was to take over their systems. They had been surviving on security by obscurity, and once somebody put it in their face that they had an incredibly easy exploit on their systems that just about anybody could could uh, exploit. They finally went ahead and um, patched that system. So now I still find some of them out there that still can be exploited with that. But people haven't patched it. You know, they've got that system and they haven't patched it, but most of them are patched now. Very interesting. And I guess one of the things too for them. So this is an industry that's really, I think we lost the connection there. No, I'm, can you hear me? Yeah, okay, I can you got it. Yeah. Okay, good. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm saying is that this is one of the things where they've really benefited by security, by obscurity, because hackers have been focusing their attention on these TCP IP-based systems, Windows, Linux systems, and they haven't focused on these SCADA systems, and the industry has been able to survive with very little security because same tools that you're using on traditional systems won't work systems you know it's a whole different world it's a whole different environment to work on so they the hackers haven't exploited these systems but that's changing now yeah and i'm sure too over the years it's been kind of you know lack of knowledge because i don't know how long sans has been offering ics security courses which i don't think it's been a long time so you just kind of figure Look at the industry as far as IT, how they've been doing security for years. And, you know, it's been acceptable to not secure ICS and SCADA environments. And that's kind of become more of a new thing. But I can just imagine the awareness of it is probably has prevented more people from from getting into it. I think that's true. I mean, SANS has been doing a course for a few years and I've been doing a course for, I don't know, four or five years. Um First, no, I think the first one I did was 2016, so six years now. Be a, this would be the sixth year. Uh, but in all honesty, there really hasn't been that much interest. I've been offering this course, and there hasn't been that much interest in it until now. <laughs> now there's a lot of interest in it, right? And uh, But you know, I've been offering this course, and very few people si sign up for it. Um, this year we have a lot of interest in it, so um, 
So if you're interested in SCADA ICS, you know, and not only are you just interested in because your company is a SCADA ICS facility, but I think it's a good way for you know people who are relatively new to the industry to differentiate themselves from you know everybody else. You know, there's very few people who can put on their resume that they know SCADA ICS security and hacking. Right? This is a way for particularly young people who are trying to get their way into the field say, hey, you know, I have a certain level of competence in a field that very few people know, and that's SCADA ICS. And, of course, as more and more of these industrial companies realize how much they're at risk, uh, there's going to be greater and greater demand for people who can either pen test them or secure them. So just like the traditional IT systems, you really can't secure a system if you don't know how to attack it, right? You got to understand how attackers are going to get into the system or can get into the system to be able to properly secure it, right? So, and there's multiple vectors of getting into these systems. Very interesting stuff. So we're coming down towards the end of the show. Uh, Is there any advice you'd like to share before we close it out? Well, you know, mostly I want to encourage people to get involved in red teaming, pen testing, um, information security. Um, I think that there's, it's real important for people to understand that, you know, hacking has had a bad reputation for a long time. You know, that's where the, the, the distinction was made between ethical hackers and black hat hackers, what have you. But I want people to know that, like the war between Russia and Ukraine, you can use your skills for good. We are helping to save Ukraine. And this year it's Ukraine. Who knows what next year is going to be? Maybe it's going to be your country, right? But right now it's Ukraine. You can use, you can develop your skills and you can use them for the good of society. And I want to encourage people to be able to do that. Part of it is, is that you have to, be dedicated to learning because this is a field that requires that you always be learning. You always have to learn because it's constantly changing, but you'll be well rewarded if you do that. Very, very good. I really, really enjoyed this episode and I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. I'm sure that this is going to pique the interest of a lot of people and more than just people trying to get into the industry, but folks that have no idea about cyber war and, and, uh, and ICS and SCADA environments. Thanks, Philip. I'm glad you asked me to do this. I enjoyed talking to you and hopefully we can do another one in the near future. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I know that you've got a lot more to share, you know, we just kind of touched on a part of it, you know, just, uh, but like I said, you've been something, someone has been, on my radar and of interest for quite a while just part of it is maybe the mystery of the being anonymous and combined with seeing the type of courses and stuff you offered to just kind of i got the feeling it's just kind of way beyond uh, your typical ethical hacking class yeah i mean we just finished up yesterday a sdr for hackers a software defined radio for hackers class which I, the people who came to that class just 
absolutely loved it. There's so many things. Once again, it's one of those areas that is not really been given much attention. But think about it: how many times radio waves are used to control devices? Your cell phone, right? Your Wi-Fi, your remote control, your garage door opener, your key fob to your car, your GPS. These are all radio waves. And so, in yesterday's class. We were looking at ways of hacking each of those. Very cool. Well, thanks again for joining. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, Philip. Yeah, thank you. Thanks everyone for joining, and we'll see you on the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.